Our second reading today is uh, from the letter to the Hebrews, the 10th chapter, beginning at verse 19. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Some of you know I have uh, served four different congregations as a pastor, and faith will be my last. And some of those congregations were in small towns, and some were in big cities. Some of you don't know that before becoming a pastor, I also served five other congregations, some in the Twin Cities area, as a seminary student, as a youth minister, and then as a youth uh, pastor, unordained, in a part of Minnesota called Pequot Lakes. Uh, Some of these nine congregations were predominantly white-collar, and some were blue-collar. These congregations, all of them, were unique in every way. But being Lutheran, they all had one thing in common. No one sat in the front row on Sunday morning. (laughs) Unless it was Christmas Eve or Easter Sunday, and they had no choice. So you can imagine my surprise when one family, a family of five, walked to the front of the sanctuary and sat down in the front pew. Mom, dad, two daughters, and a son. I was their new pastor, and it was my first Sunday leading worship at their church. It was strange to see them coming up to the front, but that strange feeling was kind of a nice feeling. It was a good feeling. I thought maybe they're just coming up front to show me a little hospitality, a little encouragement. But that good feeling I had when they sat down ended when I started my first sermon as their brand new pastor. Like this moment, right now, I was just a few words into my sermon when the dad took out a newspaper and started reading it. And it wasn't a subtle thing like he didn't want the pastor to see. He had that newspaper up like this snapping it every time he turned the page, holding it up like this, I couldn't even see his face. I did my best to keep my composure. I got to tell you, though, it was hard. It was a little distracting. And as I'm trying to continue my sermon, in the back of my head, my own voice is saying, who is this guy? He's awfully bold sitting there in the front row putting on a show and why hasn't anybody here ever called him out does he do this all the time or is it just my own special welcome i'm trying to preach and in the back of my head i'm thinking why in the world 
is he doing this? What's he think he's doing? Who does he think he is? Well, let me tell you, when you're the new pastor, you choose your battles carefully. So I fought the temptation to call him out right there in the middle of worship. I kept preaching, and he kept reading his newspaper. Actually, I think he was just scanning it because the pages were turning so quickly. And finally, he finished. And he gave it one last snap before he folded it and set it down. And I thought, well, thank the Lord, he's done. Oh, but he wasn't done. He then proceeded, I kid you not, to take out a pair of clippers and he was trimming his nails, holding up each finger to admire his handiwork. I decided right then and there, before we sang the last hymn, that he would be the first person I called on as a new pastor Monday morning. I told my secretary I'd be calling on him, and she says, oh, don't do it. Nobody challenges him. Everybody in this town's afraid of him. You don't know how much power he's got. He's very wealthy. Like I said, young pastors, new pastors choose their battles carefully, and I chose this one. I called him up, told him we needed to talk. He said, I look forward to it. We agreed on a time and a place. We sat down, and I swallowed hard, and I let him know that I found his behavior on the Lord's day in the sanctuary to be rude and inappropriate, not to me, but an insult to God, as he read his newspaper and clipped his nails. And I told him, I don't ever want to see you doing that again. (laughs) And he said, okay. (laughs) And then he went on to say, yeah, I'm really surprised you uh, called me here this morning to talk about all this. All the pastors I've known are spineless wimps. And the pastor before you never said a word to me about all this. So thanks for showing me there's at least one pastor that's got a little courage. I thought you'd be afraid to challenge me. I'll never do it again. And then I said, you know, by the way, why do you go to church? Oh, the wife. And just by saying the wife, you know he wasn't living in Virginia or California. He was a Minnesotan. The wife. Doesn't even say her name. Why do you even go to church? Well, I made a promise to the wife. She wouldn't marry me unless I promised to go to church with her. So now you know what motivated him. So, what's the point in telling you the story this morning? Some of your translations of our lesson from Hebrews faithfully render that opening verse that we come into the sanctuary with boldness not just confidence and that fella all those years ago was certainly showing one kind of boldness wasn't he that was awfully bold to sit there reading the newspaper clipping your nails I I think it's boldness that was arrogance and then there's the boldness and the confidence the scriptures describe the boldness we share as we enter the house of God this morning. It's not rude. It's not meant to challenge. It's not even a boldness based on self-confidence. Rather, Christ-confidence. We have confidence to enter 
this holy place by the blood of Jesus. And yes, some of your translations render that as a, as a boldness, not just a confidence. Others say that we're not fearful to enter this holy of holies. This is not because of who we are, not by a long shot, but because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So all nine of the congregations that I've been associated with going back to 1979 have this thing in common. No one but that guy and his family. And then Christmas and Easter people who don't have a choice sit in the front row. But here's something else all nine have in common. And it's almost diametrically opposed to that man's um, display. I've heard so many people in every community I've served say, I couldn't possibly go to your church because I'm bad. I'm not good enough to go to church. People have said that to me in every community, including this one. Because when I meet people and I find out they don't know Christ, they don't have a home congregation, I invite them to worship. I hope you're doing the same. That is our responsibility, not just the pastor's. And time and time again, people say they're not good enough to go to church. I wonder where that idea originated. That people have to attain some high level of holiness before we qualify to visit a church, let alone join the life and mission of a congregation. Someone saying, I'm not good enough to go to church is like saying, you know, I'm not healthy enough to go to the hospital. The primary qualification for being admitted as a patient is sickness, disease, or injury. You don't go to the hospital because you got great health. <laughs> In fact, perfect health would disqualify anyone for being admitted to a hospital. The primary qualification for Involvement in the church is, is a great personal need. <laughs> it's not self-righteous achievement. Jesus Christ, the head of the church, said it better than anyone else. And if you want to double-check the pastor and verify, this is Mark chapter 2, verse 17. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come for the righteous, but for sinners. And I thank God that Jesus came for a sinner like me. Belonging to church is not a claim to have made it or finally entered some superior realm where we now know we're holier than the rest. I don't know about you, but on the contrary, belonging to a church is an admission that I'm a person who has deep need. And my deepest need can only be met by the living God through my involvement in the church that his son established. I can only be involved in this community of faith through faith in Jesus who died for a wretched sinner like me and by the power of his blood to make the foulest clean. 
Because without Jesus, I'd still be dirty. I don't know about you. In our letter to the Hebrews this morning, those of us who are reminded of the the confidence with which we can come into the presence of a righteous God are then reminded that by His grace we are to hold fast. Hold fast. Stay the course. Don't waver. Hold fast to the confession of our hope. Don't let go of it. Don't twist it. Don't distort it. Don't alter it. Don't take it for granted. And what is that hope? It's, it's our hope in Christ and living God who's faithful to us and keeps His promise. Um, it's not our strength, you see. Because God does some of His best work in our lives when we don't feel strong at all, but whether, rather weak and broken. And it's not our determination that helps us hold on to this confession, but it's the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit We hold on to a God who holds on to us, the God of truth, who's faithful to us. Early in my life, in my teenage years, I remember um, my pastor was telling the youth group about an early church leader by the name of Polycarp. And at the time, you see, I'd yet to enter the hallowed halls of a seminary And all I could think of, that's a weird name. A lot of fish, carp, nobody wants to eat anyway. But then I learned later that it's um, polycarpos. And carpos means uh, fruit. This man um, did bear much fruit. As so many other people were strengthened in their faith by his teaching, by his witness, by his service, and even by his death. Uh, Polycarp died in 155 A.D. He was a church leader who, uh, in the words of Tom Petty, uh, refused to back down. He was warned by the Roman authorities that he'd better cease and desist this preaching of Jesus Christ. And in a public event, he was surrounded by witnesses and told by the soldiers that he had to renounce Christ and as a sign of obedience to the emperor um, he had to sprinkle some incense on a flame and thinking about the Lord witnesses recorded that Polycarp the man of much fruit said eighty and six years I have served him my God and he's done me no wrong How then can I blaspheme my king and savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched, but you are ignorant of a fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. And then he was burned at the stake. And before his last breath, witnesses heard him say, Imagine this. I bless you, Father, for judging me, judging me worthy of this hour so that in the company of martyrs I may share the cup of Christ. That man who sat in the front row with his newspaper, who told me that church leaders and pastors were cowardly and spineless, he'd obviously never heard of Polycarp. And he went on in that same conversation to let me know that um, you know, most of the men who go to church aren't real men anyway. And where he got this idea, I do not know. 
Polycarp is just one of thousands who have shown such courage without flinching in the face of hatred. Many women of faith have done the same, not backing down when threatened with torture, imprisonment, execution. Our spiritual DNA in the family of Christ is not a spirit of timidity and cowardice. It is strong and it is courageous. Yet even back then, long before people, and you know who you are, you know who you are and I know who you are. I hope you're listening to the sermon this morning, but you've already done a head count wondering where's all the other people. Even in the first and second and third centuries, Christians were failing to meet together. That problem's been with us since the church was established. Some faithful Christians weren't demonstrating faithfulness. They had fallen into the habit of neglecting to meet together. Perhaps they were just tired of seeing the same old faces week after week. Maybe they decided it really didn't matter much if they decided to show up for worship or not. And it may be that some of them were just afraid that being known as a Christian would cost them. Some of them had seen Polycarp executed, Stephen, the first martyr, and on and on and on. Our letter to the Hebrews this morning would remind us that meeting together, listen to this, meeting together is all about the love we share in Christ, the love we share in Christ, and the way in which, having gathered here, we can provoke one another, not with a poke-poke and an aggressive stance, but how we can provoke and encourage one another for good deeds. Did you ever think about that being the purpose of meeting together in God's house? To share love and encourage goodness? I want you to be honest this morning with yourselves uh, when you think about worshiping or not on any given weekend what determines your decision I know that many people ask themselves this important question should I go to church today well hmm do I feel like it I know that some of you ask different questions. Do I like the pastor who's preaching today? Do I approve of the music that will be played? Do I approve of the musicians who'll be making that music? I can say this because, you see, my staff tells me that some people at Faith, none of you good people, call and ask those very questions. Personal feelings personal taste. We're reminded in the Word of God today that we have a duty to worship that has nothing to do with personal feelings or preferences, but an opportunity God-given to demonstrate mutual love and encourage one another to walk with Christ doing what is good in God's sight. Let me tell you one last thing about that man with the newspaper and the fingernail clippers. He told me that the only reason he went to church was because 
He made a promise to the wife before they got married. And he told me, you know, I don't get a lot out of it, but it makes her happy. Well, later that year, his wife um, became very ill. And she was hospitalized, and it turned out to be um, nearly two months. And that left her weak and unable to do much at all in a period of recuperation that lasted almost a year. And the church, the people of God who were too polite in their Minnesota Lutheranism to call him out on his antics in the front row, those very same people then rallied around that family and brought them meals morning, noon, and night, helped get those three kids where they needed to be with their busy schedules because their mom was still unable to drive and the dad was busy with his job. And this man's eyes were opened to what it really meant to belong to the body of Christ, to be loved in the family of God. As I said, it took over a year for his wife to recover. And by that time, her husband was a changed man. When I went to visit her and take her communion in her home, she told me that during her sickness, she was praying that somehow God would touch her husband's heart because she was afraid what would happen to the spiritual well-being of the children if she died and he didn't feel an obligation to go to church anymore. And God answered her prayer, not with a voice from heaven, not with a lightning bolt, although I wish sometimes God would hit that guy with a lightning bolt. But God answered her prayer in the simple acts of kindness of a Lutheran church family. God changed his heart with casseroles <laughs> and people willing to drive his kids to all their extracurricular activities. God changed him because people dared to be the church, not just to show up when they felt like it or to treat a man with kindness because he was so pleasant, but to love the unlovable, to love a man who needed that kind of love more than he ever realized. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.